Welcome to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. This is where we tell the stories of construction industry leaders from all across the world in hope of inspiring others to show them that anything is possible. Today, I'm speaking with Patrick Guile, Project Director from Shore Engineering. Let's get into it. Patrick, thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning, Stuart. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. No problem at all. Do you want to just um, start by telling us, I suppose, whereabouts are you from in Ireland? Where where do you uh, where do you live? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm I'm from a place called Dingle, which is in County Kerry in the southwest, uh, also known as the, the the Kingdom County. So all, all the counties in Ireland have a nickname, and uh, <laughs> Kerry is called the Kingdom. Uh, so that that's where I'm from, and um, currently beautiful based... place. Yeah, yeah, nice part, nice part of the world, um, and uh, currently based in Tipperary. Sorry about that. The landline was ringing there. I got my. It's okay. Use quick reactions there, Patrick. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I had the, my mobile is off, but uh, the landline. It's it's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get them. <laughs> you get you, you you get them companies ringing you up, selling you something all day. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's how quickly managers used to put me down as a recruiter. Jesus, <laughs> when you when you hear me selling in a CV. So, uh, no, sorry, go on, Patrick. We interrupted you there. So, um, no. based in Kerry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, currently based in Tipperary. So that's where my wife is from, and uh, it's a lot closer to Dublin for work purposes and, and all that. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm from, and that's where I'm based at the moment. Perfect. And how did you kind of talk, take me back sort of, I suppose, where did you obviously grew up in Kerry. Um, how did you even get into construction? How did your whole career begin and why did you want to get into construction? Yeah, I, I, I had probably um, a slightly unusual route into construction. Uh, so I, I come from, um, I suppose, an engineering background. Uh, the family business is, is um, an engineering business, steel fabrication and mechanical engineering called Southwest Engineering. So I guess from a, from a young age, I would have, I would have had summer jobs, um, in, in, you know, there helping out the guys. And uh, so I, I always kind of had a, a, a background, I suppose, in the engineering and construction sector generally. But uh, when I was in school, I, I had a job in uh, Garvey Super Value, which is a, a supermarket chain. And I, I did about six or seven years there, basically working in retail. So after school, weekends, um, summer holidays, all that. And I spent a lot of time uh, working in different departments in, in, in the super, you know, in super value. And whether it was in, on the shop floor, in, in the off license, in, in the cash office, literally counting piles of cash, um, working on the checkouts, all that. So that, that kind of gave me a very good grounding in terms of dealing with people and, you know, customers uh, in that case. Like, How old um, are you? Hmm? How old are you at the time? Uh, I, I probably, I would have started there probably pretty young, maybe maybe 14 or 15, something like that. And I, I made, yeah, I, I was there all, all throughout secondary school and I followed it on. I, ha- I, had, um, I had a part-time job in my first year in college as well in Galway. Uh, in in uh, Dunn's doors up there, so you know, it kind of it kind of followed on from there. Um, so I was there for a good while, and uh, you you know, it, it, it I guess you know, in an in an alternative life, I might have even pursued a career in in in, in retail, you know, in in, in management. Uh, 
but I, I always sort of wanted to, I always wanted to be a civil engineer, strangely enough. And um, that's my background. So I, I did civil engineering in NUI Galway. And um, I did two work places there while, while I was in college. So the summer of second year and the summer of third year, I did two, these two work places of coffee construction. So yep. I worked with uh, Tom Coffee and Paddy Coffee who are since uh, retired, but they were the two brothers who owned the business. And uh, the, I would have started with them in 2005. And th at that time, they would have been one of the biggest and best kind of civil engineering contractors in, in the country. They were based in Galway, um, which, you know, was close to the university. And they would have had a very close relationship with, with NUI Galway, uh, which is where... Coincidentally, where, where Paddy and Tom would have done civil engineering themselves, um, you know, back in the day. So I, I started with them. I did two summers with them and I, I did a year with them then after I graduated. And that, that was really my my entry point into the construction industry, if you like. And what, um, just taking it a little bit, I suppose, back to why civils. Obviously, you, you spoke about what the family business was and it wasn't civil. Yeah. So why why did you want to get into that? Yeah, I, I, I was always, <clears throat> I think I was always drawn to, uh, I suppose, infrastructure, you know, the, the, the built environment and, and the built world. And um, I think to this day, I can't drive past a bridge or, or a structure without without looking at it and wondering how it was built or, you know, who, who built it. <laughs> stuff. So I was just always interested in in, um, in the built environment, really. And that that's probably why I, I leaned towards um, civils. Um, yeah, as, as opposed to maybe being more specialised in, you know, engineering or fabrication or whatever. And how how, how many years experience have you got now then in, in the game? Uh, well, if you if you kind of take it that I, that I started in 2005, um, about, about 18 years, you know, um, because I, I, I did a lot in the two years with, with coffees. Um, I started off working in their estimating department for a couple of months. And a bit of a funny story, actually, um, how I ended up on my first project my first site so i i was out in in galway on a, on a friday night and it was about 10 p.m and i got a phone call from the contract director of of coffees who's tom o'connor if, if you're listening there tom hello hello to you <laughs> um so you might remember this so he he, he rang me up about 10 o'clock on that friday night and he told me that the, he wanted me to go to Inishbofin Island, which which is an island off the coast of Galway, um, off off Connemara, um, on Monday morning, and he told me there was a ferry going at, at you know ten or eleven o'clock from a place called Cleggan, and basically I was to be on it. So I was all excited about this. It was my my first job, and and uh, I, I of course that was pre smartphones, pre Google Maps, all that kind of stuff. So I. I would have had um, an atlas in the car all the time. So, <laughs> where where was where was Inish Boffin? Where was Cleggan? And how was I going to get there? Um, what time did I have to leave on on Monday morning to get there and so on? So, so I did that. I got there, got on the ferry, got across, met the site agent out there, and he promptly told me that he was leaving for Australia on on Wednesday, and I was to take over this project for him. <laughs> <laughs> Your yeah. first job. Yeah, true story. True story. That's what happened. And just just to just to compound things, then you know you know these these sort of sink or swim stories. This is this was literally a, a sink or swim situation because 
the day I arrived, um, this was a marine civil engineering project, and we were dredging the harbour, and we had, we had barges and, and excavators and, you know, all sorts of equipment there. And one, one of the barges lost power uh, the day I arrived, and it, it, it drifted and it damaged a sailing yacht. And, you know, that, that was the first crisis that had to be solved. So we had to arrange for the yacht to be taken out of the water, brought to the mainland, sent off to a boatyard to be repaired and, and so on and so forth. Um, so that, that was kind of, that was the start of it. And uh, sure enough, uh, the site agent went off to Australia on the Wednesday and uh, I was there with a laptop and a phone that, that didn't work because there was no mobile coverage there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> And, you know, there was a foreman and the barge master and, and a crew of guys out there. And I, I was I was all of a sudden the engineer, the project manager on the job. So How did you get on? Got on fine. We got the harbour dredged and got, got it done. <clears throat> um, I, I was only there for about two months. And funny enough, that was that was the, the, the dredging licence that we had and the, the, the licence we had to tip the material out at sea. It, it, it was seasonal, so we had to stop. When I when I had to go back to college, we had to stop that week anyway. So um, yeah, well, look, it was fine. It was it was a huge learning curve, and uh, there was you know it was it was a big challenge. Now I, I had a lot of support. Uh, Paddy Coffee actually came out to visit me um, within a week, and I, I just remember he said to me, um, you know, do you have any money for for your digs? And I said um, I said oh, I think I have a few quid or whatever, and he. he he basically he basically gave me a, a, a load of cash and said, "Look, that that'll keep you going. Just pay for your digs and whatever, and put it in through expenses later on." I always remember that, you know, because because I probably I probably didn't have a whole pile, you know. Yeah. I might have, I might have had just enough, to, maybe. But, <laughs> you know, Paddy, you remember, he kind of recognised that, and he, he looked after me. And I I always remember that, you know. You do remember them little things. Um, I think. Um, there's been a sort of a, a recurring topic around kind of the, I suppose, the, the um, a lot of people's work history and how they kind of got into it and the swim or, uh, you know, sink or swim situations. And I do think that, um, like I was speaking to um, Fergus from uh, from Ardmac on uh, one of yeah. the previous podcasts, and he was kind of similar situation in a way, just kind of on a Friday night, spoke to somebody on Monday morning, he's, he's in the Netherlands or he's somewhere else in the world. And, um, and you just dropped into something straight away. Yeah. Sometimes, do you think that? Do you think that really helped you? Do you think just getting being really super uncomfortable so quickly that you almost had to fail fast and work out how to do things? I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I also I would also kind of keep in mind that at that time it was the height of the Celtic Tiger, the height of the boom. It was just crazy. It was a crazy time. Um, you know, there was there was work everywhere. There was money everywhere. Um, things you know couldn't get built quickly enough at the time. Um, and I think today um, it, it probably wouldn't be acceptable to to do that to, to you know to basically a student engineer or, or or even a graduate engineer to to sort of drop them in it without without having the proper supports there. Um, I, I guess it, it, it's not really fair, but you know, um, it didn't bother me at the time. I just got on with it and did it, and and I've always sort of had that attitude. Just there's a job to be done, you know. Get on with it. <laughs> what would you um, What would you say if you could go back and sort of give your eighteen year old self 
a piece of advice? Like, what would it be? Uh, I think, um, I think maybe maybe have a bit more fun. Uh, you know, when when you're when you're that age and you're younger, like I, I was always very focused on my career and you know very very driven and um, like for example that summer where I was out you know working on barges. Um, a lot of my friends would have been off doing the J1 in the States and having a great time. Um, I didn't do that. I was I was really motivated and interested in just I wanted to get into working as, as quickly as possible. Uh, I don't regret it, but at the same time, there's probably a better balance there between having, a, you know, um, having the sort of enjoyable experiences when you're younger uh, versus, um, you know, sort of career progression and, and getting into the workplace earlier. And... Um... Where are you today then? So you kind of you kind of taught me of how you got into construction and yeah. obviously I'm presuming that there's how long was you with Kofi's for? Was it, did you have a few career changes before where you are now with sure? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did two summers uh with, with, with coffees and uh, they offered me a job then to come back when I graduated from NYG, uh, which I did and I, I was I was delighted to come back for working with them. Uh, I started off as a project manager on a utilities project uh, down in down in uh, Limerick. Now, I guess at the time they, they would have because I had done two summers with them. I, w- I would have counted maybe that I had a, maybe like the equivalent of a year's experience, you know, um, as opposed to being a, a fresh graduate. I knew the business. I knew a lot of the people there. I knew how things operated. So that's why I started off at project manager level, and. Uh, we were working on a on a water metering project, non-domestic water metering project in Limerick, County Limerick. So we had to install about five and a half thousand water meters um, across the county of Limerick. Uh, there were about 30 crews on the job, sort of two-man crews, and there were some bigger crews then for the bulk water meters. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I started. And about a year um, into that, uh, there was... There was a management buyout um, of coffees, which which ultimately um, didn't proceed. Uh, so what happened there was most of the non-family uh, directors ended up leaving and starting a new business uh, in in partnership with a company from Portugal called Mota Engil. Now Mota Engil um, were always a very very big company. Uh, they're in the European top 30. I think their turnover today is about 3.8 billion euro. Um, you know, they, they work across three continents, Europe, Africa, and South America. And uh, in 2008, uh, the, the, as I say, the, the, the non-family directors, most of them left, and they set up two new businesses uh, backed effectively by Mota and Gilles. So one of them was Glenagra. And the other one was MEIC. So Glenagra was a was a water and wastewater business, a design and build contractor, design yeah. build and operate actually uh, at the time because there was still a lot of long term, maybe twenty year O and M contracts uh, available. Uh, they're they're not there today, but at the time they were still there. And MEIC then was the building and civil engineering business uh, that was set up. So I was asked to to join um, that business uh, with. You know, from coffees, um, and I did. I was, I was, I was one of the first employees there. Uh, they were, they were a startup business at the time. Uh, probably the worst time in the world to 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 start a new business like that uh, in in construction, which is, which is a risky industry at the best of times. But this was two thousand and eight, so r- right before the crash. 
you know, yeah. literally right before the crash. And um, so Carl Zimmer was the managing director of Planagua. Tom O'Connor was the managing director of MBIC. And you had Mota Injil, who for, for the first sort of five or six years were, were pretty much a silent partner in it. And the history there was that Coffees and Mota Injil and Bernard McNamara Construction had been in a joint venture building a very large section of the M7 motorway. So you might recall at the time, Ireland was on a huge motorway building spree and you had a lot of European contractors in, mostly Spanish, and they, they, were, you know, they were all all these sections of motorways were built in joint ventures. Uh, so that, that was the connection there between, between Coffees and Mota and Gilles. Uh, so McNamara's would have, would have, uh, you know, gone bust at that time. Um, Coffees were, had some difficulties with their kind of property development uh, division and Mota and Gilles, um, you know, ended up sort of basically setting up on their own uh, with, with the guys. So I, I went with them anyway. Um, I thought it was the right thing to do for me. Uh, it was a great opportunity to get involved in a startup right at an early stage. And I did that. I, I, I spent uh, just under 11 years then uh, with those two businesses, um, working on water and wastewater, design and build contracts, uh, you know, pumping stations, treatment plants, pipelines, all that kind of infrastructure. Um, and just a quick one, Patrick, out of interest. From joining the startup to to eleven years later, yeah. what do you think the key key things that you learn? What were the key things that you learned from working in from a startup and navigating through a recession and yeah, built built some character, right? It it really did. It really did. I mean, they they were very lean times, and um, there wasn't much work there uh, at the time. So this would have been pre Irish Water uh, mostly, and you know whether it was Glenagua or MEIC. Almost all of our work was um, public sector work. Um, so either local authorities or the National Roads Authority or whichever as the case may be, it was, it was highly, highly competitive. And really we learned uh, very quickly, we had to be super innovative and efficient with our designs, especially on the design and build contracts, um, which tended to be performance based and uh, basically water in, water out. Uh, what happened in the middle they didn't you know it was up for grabs um so if if somebody if some contractor had you know a very innovative solution or a very efficient solution uh you, you, the scope was there to to implement that and maybe have a competitive advantage over your competitors and um, actually build the thing and still make money at it and still be cheaper than than the competition so that that kind of innovative mindset um that i could give you loads of examples of of things that we had, some big things, some small things, they all added up. Um, it was ultra commercial and ultra competitive. Uh, we had to be very, very sharp in, with our tenders um, because, you know, we're in business to make money. Uh, we were never going to um, get involved in a, a race at the bottom or buying jobs or anything of the sort. Uh, plus, as well as that, we, we would have had oversight and corporate governance from um or, or multi-billion euro parent company to, to, to contend with as well. And we just had to be very, very sharp, um, very competitive and just just create and deliver a lot of value to our clients. That's how we succeeded. And we did, we, we, we grew very quickly. We got a lot of projects um, under our belt. Um, 
and, and we, we just sort of, the, the business just grew and, and it was profitable every year. We never lost money. So it was a remarkable achievement in, in hindsight uh, for, for the entire team that was there, you know. And what were your, um, what were your biggest problems, would you say? Your biggest, you know, the pain points, issues ongoing? Uh, during during that, that time. <clears throat> yeah, during that time, um, I think it's, it, we, we were always, we were always, I suppose, concerned about where the next job was going to come from. Um, you know, that was a time where uh, people were getting laid off regularly, not not from our business, but just in general, uh, people were getting laid off, you know, quite regularly. There was a lot of immigration going on to places like Australia in particular. Um, you know, it, it you were always looking over your shoulder. Um, there, there was never any certainty um, or there was never any any great um, backlog of work there that was that you knew you were going to be busy for the next few years, no matter what. Uh, that wasn't there. Um, we would have had a certain level of comfort uh, that there was re recurring revenue from our um, O&M contracts, but that was only a small part of the business, really. Uh, uh, to you know, to, to achieve growth and profitability, it was just very challenging because it was so competitive. Um, just, it was do, a you not, do you not think, though, as well, that combine, obviously, um, not having the ongoing work or not having the, I suppose, the clear look ahead that you're going to get another contract that you yeah. were sharper, that you had to be sharper, that you, do you think your jobs, would it be fair to say, and I might be wrong, would it be fair to say that you cared more about delivering that job properly than if you, if you had 15 jobs and more in the pipeline and everything is just there? Because I suppose you can take that into any sort of walk of life really, can't you? If it's, if the, if the tap's just constantly on mm. and it's never off, um, <laughs> You don't stay as sharp. I know that I'm like that for even with my clients. If I know that sometimes it's better when the you know when the um when I yeah. feel like there's a bit of when there's a bit of a race on there is competition. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it does. I think it it, it drives um a certain hunger in you. Uh, it, it, it you know like you 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 have to you have to be very competitive uh, and then when you get a job you have to deliver because um it you know the, the public sector in particular is 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 very unforgiving um so you're, you're only as good as your last job and if if you do a bad job for a client um there there's there's half a dozen guys coming behind you that will that that are that are looking to eat your lunch <laughs> you, know? yeah. so you you have to be you have to be on the ball yeah you have to be on the ball um definitely more so than if there was you know, a plentiful amount of work and, and everything like that, you still have to deliver. It's still super important uh, and you still have to be competitive. But it was just a different a different time, a different environment. It was it was the worst recession in, in memory. And, and, you know, the older generations would, would, would have said that, you know, even in the 80s and stuff, it wasn't as bad. Um, so, I, 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 you know, for us, I suppose it was normal. Like we were, look, we did, we did some crazy things. Like, I mean, we... We would have been um, if you weren't on a project delivering a job. You were you were in trying to win the next one. So you were involved in estimating, uh, bid writing, you know, client warming, all that kind of stuff. And you know, we we did some crazy things. I mean, we we would have worked all night uh, to get tenders in. Um, we would have been in till you know twelve o'clock in the, in the, at night, two o'clock in the morning. We we did also we did we did what we had to do, you know. And that that was that was the mindset. It was the culture of the company and. There were some very, very good people there in the business who are, you know, 
many of them have gone off in different directions now and, and are senior leaders in other businesses. But we were just lucky. We had a really good core group of people and we were all completely aligned. We were in it together. We were dependent on each other. We had to deliver for each other as part of a team to make sure that we we had to get the next job. You know, it was it it was for us it, it it was about survival, but it was also about growth because we had that huge multinational parent company, and you know they're they're looking at other markets like uh, you know when Europe is down, things might be okay in Africa. When Africa is down, things might be booming in Brazil, uh, and and we were being compared, we were being benchmarked to other businesses around the world. So we had to perform. Um, you know that that sort of pressure was there, but we had we had that culture in the business. We had that mindset, uh, not only to survive but to grow the business and to and to make sure it was always profitable. Makes sense. And I suppose I think that the world has obviously changed, especially since COVID. Right, the way that the world is now. From you know, even you were just talking about. I remember when. You know, when I was even just starting out in construction, right, and I, I was in shop fitting, and we used to, uh, and honestly, I, we, you'd have you'd call it ghosting, and you go all the way through the night, and you work straight through the night to get jobs finished, right? And that yeah. was just practically normal, and you almost wore it as a bit of a badge of honour, right? Mm. Nowadays, that the world has completely changed, and and that's not there anymore, or it's not, it doesn't seem to be the the standard anymore. It's the complete, it's the absolutely complete opposite. So. I feel like sometimes I genuinely have worked my ass off, I suppose, done late nights, and you've done the same, like you said. Mm. Why has the world changed? And do you think this? Do you think? I suppose the question is: Is there a right or a wrong way? Which do you, do you start? Do you, do you see it in a different light now that that Jesus? You know what we would? Or do you think that survival mode is survival mode, and when your back's against the wall, you've got? To yeah, do I mean, I, I, I think you know. Ireland is is a wealthy country today. Um, it's you know it's, it's doing quite well. Um, I, I think that if we were unfortunate enough to see another major, major, major global recession like we had that time, um, you could probably see things like that happening again. You know, because if people are in survival mode and it's 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 life or death for the business, um, people will do what they have to do. Um, but we're not we're not in that environment. We're not in that situation, and I think, you know, people people most people have would have a good work ethic. Um, but you'll you'll hear a lot of talk, obviously, about um, work life integration, which is the new you know kind of term for work life balance. But you know that th that's much more important now these days, um, and you know avoiding things like burnout, like. I never heard of burnout until until a few years ago. You know, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it was. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a thing back then. You know, you just you you did what you had to do. Um. These days, it's all about uh, well-being and mindfulness and so on, and you know, minding people and making making sure people don't get burned out. And the trade-off is that they perform better. Um. Uh, you know, more consistently for longer periods. So that's very important these days. Um. I I, I don't think people would do things like that anymore or, or they shouldn't be expected to do things there shouldn't be a need for that anymore because you know we're not in that sort of environment makes sense so the world has probably got easier right realistically i think so yeah look the world is changing and it's going to keep changing and you know we, we need to change with it yeah makes sense um i think the work-life balance um situation is really important though i've having you know i've experienced burnout myself and i think mm -hmm. you don't know until you get there but i also 
one thing I wanted to mention is I I honestly I honestly think that you you need to reach your ceiling. Right. Mm. I think everybody needs to reach their ceiling in order to understand where you max out. Like mm. what is your maximum? Like, there's no point with, with anything if you go in the gym. You always try and reach your maximum or oh, that's what you're supposed to do right whenever you're doing if you're trying to run you try and reach your maximum in work you try and reach your maximum and then you realize that you can't you couldn't it's just like if you put it into any other context you can't stay at that you can't redline a car consistently you can't redline yeah. your body consistently or your brain um but once you know what that red line is you can dial it back 20 percent, and then you yeah. can and then and that's how I feel like I personally started to operate at a higher level for a longer period of time instead of going like this, up and down. Um, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts would be on that or whether you've <clears throat> whether you've experienced working at such a level and and kind of, I don't know, needed a break or you've kind of understood your own, I suppose, your own way of working. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, yeah. Um, no, you, it's a good analogy. You can't redline a car forever you know there, there, there's a sweet spot there so look i i believe that um you know you have to be competitive and look I, i'm a competitive person anyway but you know anyone in business needs to be competitive or or you won't be in business too long you know but there there, there is definitely a balance there between um a sustainable sort of efficient um productive uh, pace uh, versus you know, going hammer and tongs and and then just crashing. Um, and it, it look it, it has happened to me. I, I don't mind saying it. Like you know, it has happened to me in the past. And um, I I've definitely bounced off the ceiling a few times. You know, so I I, I know where it is. And uh, it's just about trying to trying to keep trying to keep just a little under it so that you don't so that you don't burn out. Um, like I I'll go back to when I was working in Super Value. You know, back in the day and. There, there would have been stairs up to two sets of stairs, one up, one up to the kind of canteen and store area and the other one up to the front office where the cash office was and so on. And you, the culture there was that you couldn't walk up the stairs, you had to run up the stairs. And, and <laughs> the, managers, the managers would have would run up the stairs and you had to run as well. And that, that, was, that was just it, like, you know, it was, it was, that, was, that was the culture of the place, like, and... If you didn't, if you didn't run up the stairs as hard as you could, there was something wrong with you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> how did how did you um? So how did you recover then from from when you've been in these burnout phases before, where you've really reached your ceiling? Yeah. Um, number one, I suppose two questions. How did you identify that that was your ceiling at that point? Because you know mm. what, sometimes it's not. I think it'd be easier if we had some computer program. Maybe in the future, it says you are at maximum capacity and you'd go right okay i'll dial it back but your brain's not telling you that and usually you're inside of something you're doing something that seems really vital and you yeah. don't want to stop because you feel like you're giving up so how do you number one identify that you're reaching your capacity and number two when you're at that stage what do you do or what did you yeah. do i mean it's 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 for me I, I i'm i'm probably my own worst enemy because i i don't i'm very bad at taking annual leave um, I, 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 it's exactly what you said. Whatever I'm doing, I, I'm, I'm absorbed in it, and I, you know, I, the last thing on my mind is to take two weeks off or whatever, and and that's that's something that I need to work on. Um, and you know, I, I, I had an experience there. Um, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Um, and, and I, and I, I actually got sick. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't anything serious. Like, but I was just, I was just in hospital for a few days, and. It, 
it it was just burnout. Um, and I ended up having to take a few weeks off work just to just to get away from it and and just recover. Um, but like, you know, for me, it's things like um, trying to finish on time every day. Um, you know, I try to do that. Um, I I try and start on time as well. Um, you know, working late in the evening, working weekends. Sometimes you have to do it, um, but you shouldn't make a habit of it. That's that's what I try and do anyway. And um, trying to just just you know take take annual leave, just be able to step away from it for a week or two weeks or, or a long weekend or whatever. And they're they're the things I'm trying to do anyway myself. Fair enough. And if you um. Have you got little ones yourself? Yeah, three toddlers. Uh, so three, 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 yeah, three little boys, yeah. Gee, how old are they? Uh, the twins are, are three, three and a bit, and uh, the youngest guy is about 15 months. You're right in the thick of it like I am then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you, I, I suppose your priorities change as well, don't they, when you when you have a family and everything. But um, I think you're um, I think you're completely right. Um I think the advice is really good around. And again, I had Alicia Mayer on here from Microsoft. Um, don't know if yeah. you know Alicia, um, but um, she was saying the same thing: take up hobbies, um, and you know, finish on time. Start start at the right time. I think. I think one thing is is you, you do, you do. I suppose you work to live, not the other way around. And yeah. as as much as you as much as you do enjoy your job, and I also think as well, if when you start enjoying it too much. Or when you enjoy anything too much or do too much of anything, it goes wrong. It's all about that balance. It's all about having that balanced approach to everything in life. Um, it's hard to master. You never seem to do it. One week you're not you're not doing much with the family and you're like doing too much work, and then and it's vice versa, and you can see things slipping off. But I think um I think the older I've got, I've been able to kind of try and keep it a little bit more balanced, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think it's is we should all strive for that. And as you said, it's 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 hard to do, especially if you're you know if you're a very motivated individual and you and you're you know you're trying to progress your career and kind of get on in the industry. Um, it's it's an easy thing to do to kind of you know to let that happen. Uh, it it's a hard thing to do to to sort of take a step back and say, okay, you know, I you know I need to take a bit of time out here or whatever, you know. So it's oh. it's. Uh, so it's definitely something we should all be conscious of, yeah. So your situation now, then, I, I'm always quite interested. Um, you're a motivated person, you're competitive, but also at the same time as you're trying to now live a, a balanced lifestyle. So mm. what does your, your you know, you're, you're a family man, three, three, yeah. three young children, I know it's hard work. Um, I think I heard one of the um, one of the babies in the background there. So, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's... Um, these are supersonic headphones, I think, right? So, yeah. <laughs> but um, how do you, what does your morning routine look like? How do you manage your projects on a day-to-day -day basis? And then how does your evening look? I'm always interested to kind of know what, like what sets you up in the morning to get a good day ahead, especially yeah. a family. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it it, it varies. Um, if if I, I work from home quite a bit, so if, if I'm at home, um, look, I'm, I'm always up pretty early. Um, I'm usually the first up in the house, um, unless one of the one of the kids is, uh, you know, is up at some ungodly hour. Uh, that does that does happen as well, and you know, you just have to deal with it. Um, it's just, you know, it's it's about sort of, you know, getting everyone up and dressed and fed and, and off off to the childminder, um, and then just just down to work um, as soon as possible. Um, 
I, I could be away, you know, I could be I could be traveling for work. Um and, and again I would be up early anyway and just uh, just a light breakfast and get 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 going to wherever I have to go. And I suppose that's a brilliant thing. I think that the has it always been a case that I mean, is it only since COVID that the likes of the business that you're working for now has allowed sort of project directors to kind of work remotely and work from home because it's a massive positive, especially with the, the all the time that you save, the, the, you know, the hour in the, in the morning, the hour in the evening, it's, it mounts up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, I mean, yeah, dur- dur- during COVID, um, we had to, we had to adapt and we, we had to pivot very quickly. Um, the first lockdown in Ireland, March 2020 was for about six weeks um in our case because we 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 were able to get back early we were deemed critical infrastructure the project i was working on at the time was was deemed to be critical infrastructure so was able to get back to work pretty quickly but um i guess during during that period like uh we you know we started using teams and and zoom and everything else like that and it 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 became kind of enforced remote working um you know, we, we then as soon as we could get back on site, we were back on site. Uh, there, there were there were other lockdowns then later on, and we had to we had to adapt to that as well. And we ended up, um, you know, while while the sites were closed, we were planning ahead. We were still working on design, um, procurement as, as you know as, as much as we could. Um, we we really got into the kind of hybrid, um, blended model uh, that that we kind of see today. Um, obviously, with things being being uh, back to normal in terms of the pandemic, uh, the preference is definitely still to be on site um, as much as possible and face to face as much as possible for meetings. Uh, but there are there are advantages and there are efficiencies to you know to remote working and hybrid working. Um, you know, to to a certain point, like um, if, if you got to meet somebody and it doesn't necessarily have to be face to face. You can save a lot of time in the day that way because you're you're not stuck in the car or whatever. Um, so it's 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 a kind of a blended model um, as 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 appropriate really. And I think everyone everyone at, at sort of my level would determine that for themselves. Like what's what's appropriate for them, the projects they're working on, the clients they're dealing with, the the, the teams they're leading. Like um, you know, I, I would say in general, in person face to face is is, is preferable. Uh, but you know. It, it, it's still okay to do remote stuff and hybrid stuff, uh, you know, where, where it's more efficient and saves time. Yeah, it's, I think it's really nice to see. Um, I think construction's one of them industries, isn't it? You see a, a lot of other industries, right? And they're able to work remotely. Uh, even yeah. my industry, I still go into the office. We're in, obviously in the offices now um, just because I like that contact. I like hybrid. Hybrid is the best word to use. I like some days you kind of, um, you need extra time, right? You need... Yeah. You need extra time. Again, you've got a life. You've got things going on. These kids are at school events, sports things that you want to be involved in. That's why you. Again, that's why you work to live. Yeah. Um, advantages for stuff like that, and then also, like you said, um, a bit of space. Sometimes you need really deep work that you need to do. Like you're probably getting free tenders and whatnot, and yeah. and that sort of stuff needs no distraction. And if you are in an office, as much as you get when you collaborate and it's brilliant, but if you need deep work done, it's a bit of a nightmare because you've been pulled from pillar to post. And if you're not, and the worst thing is as well, I find with a hybrid is if you're not always there, when you are there, you really want to help. You really want to help people because yeah. you're not always, you know, because you're not seen and you're, you're actually at home. 
you feel like if you're coming in, then you're not talking or you're kind of doing deep work in the office. So I actually think it's a perfect blend approach. So I get it. Um, what are you, what are the biggest challenges that you, you sort of facing now? Would you see from even from what you're looking at in the industry that the kind of the the projects that you, that you're operating um, you're operating on? Yeah. So I I I mean you're you're probably going to hear something similar across the board, but uh, I I. I personally believe the, the the biggest issue at the moment is is resources. Um, so it, it's it's people, um, you know, to actually deliver work. It's people to go on the tools. It's engineers. It's quantity surveyors. It's planners. It's BIM technicians. It's it's basically everybody that's involved in actually actually delivering work, not just not just project managing stuff or being a management contractor um, it's the actual resources for people who actually can deliver and produce um, goods and materials and and actually carry out construction work on site that's definitely the biggest challenge I, I see in the industry at the moment I'm in the right space then I think so um, it's probably an area where I'm uh, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping it stays like this for a while anyway because it, it means um, I'm not redundant yeah. but um yeah, I mean, like you, you know, there, there's if if you look if you compare, um, you know, Ireland and the UK to places like Germany, um, I think in Ireland, we're, in particular, we're we're probably we're, we're guilty of of wanting to push our kids to to college, you know, through third level university and everything like that. Uh, if you look at at Germany, um, it's a much more vocational mindset, so it's. There's no difference in status in society between, you know, someone whose kid is a doctor and someone whose kid is a mechanic. Um, the Germans don't differentiate. You know, once you have a vocation or or a profession or whatever, great. You know, um, we're 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 kind of struggle a bit with that in Ireland. Like we've we're very good at, at we've a highly educated workforce in 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 tech and everything else, um, but a, a kind of a a consequence of that or maybe an unintended consequence is that we've less and less people to actually actually you know get on the tools and do work i was actually speaking this was a big topic um on the last podcast with a guy who works for um nne over in denmark a guy called mark morale and um he was saying um they need to make construction sexy again in his words that's what he said attractive he said because yeah. obviously the young people are coming into it it's not attractive enough for them to go into the industry um so i do get it and i also do think um there is the world has changed as well because i i started off on the tools i'm obviously not in there now i'm kind of still involved a bit more from a podcast and recruitment perspective um <laughs> it kind of wasn't for me in the end but um the money just that I was getting as an apprentice, it didn't serve me. I just needed to go and get, I needed to, you know, I, yeah. I needed more money straight away. I, know. Um, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's part. And I think the issue is, is a combination of things of how the world now on, I'm not on social media or anything apart from LinkedIn, but TikTok and Instagram and these yeah. people that people that make money with like within a heartbeat and everything is now, now, now nothing. You don't have to wait for anything anymore. Um, you can get everything that you physically want whether you have good credit, bad credit, things just, you can just snap your fingers and get them. And I think that it, I know it sounds like such a small thing, but I, just, I do think it has a knock-on effect on other industries and people getting into something because it's the mentality behind, right, okay, do I want to get into, I've got to go onto site, I've got to be there at six in the morning. And it's trying to then make that attractive, you know, to, to, yeah. to the younger generation and 
Do you have any ideas of how you do that? Do you think? I mean, you're well, wanting to get into it, so without relying yeah. on just people, you know, there's probably a percentage of younger kids who just want to get into it. How do you get the people who are on the fence into it? Because then that starts making making up the numbers. It's 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 a major challenge, and and thinking back to when I was in university, the the dean of the faculty of engineering in NUI Galway, even back in two thousand three. Uh, 2004 he was trying to encourage people away from traditional uh, engineering disciplines like civil and mechanical and and so on and he was trying to push people towards it at that time uh, like electronic engineering and, and and all that he was trying to get people to to change over to that and he he said there's going to be a huge uh, tech industry in ireland and i don't know how he knew that but he was right and you know, if you look at, at today and, and you're you're coming out of school and you're hearing about all the major tech companies in the world who are you know who are based in Ireland, they have their European and sometimes global headquarters in Ireland, and they are paying top dollar for even for graduates like. So if you're if you're somebody and you know you're 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 good at maths and, and science in school and all that, and you you know, you in in the past you might have kind of naturally kind of lean towards engineering of one sort or another um you're going to you're going to be you're going to be looking at tech you know you're going to be looking at becoming a, a programmer um and and get, getting into tech because the money is fantastic the lifestyle is fantastic um everything about it is just win-win and therefore the the, the engineering and construction industry is is losing out uh, to that sort of cohort of people who would otherwise other maybe if there wasn't a tech industry, uh, would probably have gone into engineering or, or similar professions. So it, it's a big challenge. It's a, it's a really, really big challenge. Um, do, do you not think, um, if I'm honest with you, do, do you not feel like, and the way that, and you were talking about societies before, right? You're talking about the German society as well. Do you not think that we bracket the the money, the amount of money that you make with the salary? That's what, uh, sorry, the amount yeah. of money that you make according to like the job role. Do you not think we put that on a pedestal anyway, though? So if it, for example... I know, even growing up, that it was always about getting the best paid job, really, mm. like getting a job that's going to, and going in a career that's going to pay you the best, that's going to give you the best life, because that's what it does, money. It doesn't make you, ultimately, I never like to say money makes you happy, but it makes things a hell of a lot easier, right? And it makes it, it helps, it allows you to do things in this world. You know, you've got kids, everything costs, right? Everything costs, yeah. nappies, wipes, everything. Gives you a life where you're able to do things, buy equipment to do bikes, things for children. So if, um, do you not think that the, if, for example, if the, if the salaries came up for the, uh, and matched, well matched or went above the other areas that were in competition in suppose the STEM, you know, the STEM sort of yeah. sectors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you not think that that's what would clearly drive into construction? Because I know if I'm 16, I'm going, do you know what? This looks like a really good career path for me. I'm going to top out probably, it looks like I'm topping out on a meekler when a doctor. So if it is something, it's a social society thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just keen to get your thoughts on what, how you, you know, what, whether you I, think it is very salary driven. Because I know what I was like when I was 16. And it was about the money, really. It was career, but it was. Yeah, no, look, it, it is. It's 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 hugely important. Uh, now, I, I I don't know if 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 we can if we could do that as an industry, you know, match the match the very high salaries from the from the tech industry, and and still be competitive. Um, 
I don't. I'm not sure that we could. I don't. I don't think we could. So it's it's um, yes. I think if you could wave a magic wand and do that, it would certainly it would certainly help. Um, and similarly, um, you know, with, with apprenticeships and so on, um, you know, if, if you know apprentices are obviously paid set apprentice rates um, while they're while they're training and everything like that. Um, but it's it's it we have to we have to stay competitive as well. So there's there's definitely there's definitely a balance there um, between sort of attracting people to enter into the industry, you know, via the professional routes or via trade routes. Um, but we we have we can't lose sight of our our competitiveness, or or we'll, we'll just end up, um, you know, not being able to not being able to build anything efficiently. And, and you know what? And, and as I was talking, then I do think that as I did go on an apprenticeship scheme and earned low wages when I yeah. first started out, it gave me the drive and hunger to get to where I am today. In a way, so it's a really hard it, it's a hard battle because it's one way I'm saying yeah, I suppose give people really good money at the beginning, so then they start out, but then yeah, it's it, it's a hard one. So I I, I think it's just the. I think the biggest thing is how do you make it how do you make it attractive to younger people? Where's yeah. where's the longer term career and it, where's the visibility? To, and I presume that I'm not well in. I'll be honest. I don't. I won't proclaim to, you know, claim to understand um, what goes on at the sort of the grassroots level. Really, I suppose like going into yeah. universities and colleges. But I see a lot of work being done by most you know by most businesses. But um, yeah. and and, and yeah. you know it. it it's sometimes it's about highlighting the benefits there in, in a way people might think about as well. So for, for example, you know, we, we've often had that debate about, about apprentice wages and so on. But if you like that, if you're, if you're coming out of school and, and you're considering an apprenticeship or, or, um, you know, going to college or whatever, uh, if you go to college, you, you, you don't get paid. Uh, if you do an apprenticeship, you do get paid. Uh, yes. You're getting paid yeah. for it in, in, in first year and second year is quite low. Third year and fourth year is, is, not far off what a qualified person would make but sometimes you need to actually look at things like that as well you know um it's or look at things in in a different way um there's definitely an emphasis in our business as well not just on the wages and the financials but on on um the um i suppose the 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 benefits uh that, that are that are there as well and you know, just addition, additional benefits like um, and team building exercises and all the things that we offer, like um, or you know, employee assistance programs and stuff like that. It are probably like additional training and higher quality training as well. Um, it it all sort of adds up, but it's 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 a kind of a sustainable or it's, it it needs to be a sustained campaign, like to to focus on people and to to attract them into the industry. Makes sense. And what does you think the the next five years sort of looks like for you um, and the business that you're working with, Sure Engineering? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I guess we haven't really spoken much about Sure Engineering so far, but uh, look, Sure is at, at a kind of a pivotal point in its history. Um, it's it's it started off as a family business uh, nearly forty years ago. It is it has changed hands a couple of times from from the original family ownership and. Just recently, it was acquired uh, by a company called Duke Street uh, from London, Paul Adams and his team. So they're, they're a private equity firm. Uh, they acquired the business from uh, EDF. So for, for a number of years there, we were part of the EDF group from France. 
uh, who are um, you know, huge state-owned, um, uh, basically electrical utility in France. Um, they, they have about 70 nuclear power plants and that's, that's their core business is, is power generation. And under the new owners now, uh, we, we have a new CEO, uh, John Kelly. He, he, he started there um, two or three weeks ago. And uh, there, there are big plans there to grow the business over the next five years, um, both in Ireland and, and, and abroad. So we're, we're currently working in, in uh, Germany and several Scandinavian countries. Um, th that geographical area is likely to expand a little bit. Um, over the next few years, but we're we're working for the same core clients uh, that we that we work for in Ireland. So we work um, in in um, a, a few different kind of key sectors. So energy, power, and renewables um, is is a huge part of the business, and there'll be a lot of growth in that going forward. Um, we had the, we had the results there of the the first offshore wind auction in Ireland um, earlier this week. Uh, big news for the industry, and is you know we, we ought to play a significant part in actually delivering that over the next few years. Um, then we 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 have a big uh, data center construction division. So uh, we work for um, a number of the uh, bigger um, hyperscalers and colo data center providers around Ireland and around uh, different parts of Europe. Yeah. That that business is, that business is going to grow as well. Uh, there's there's a there's a big um, there's a big pipeline there for for all of that, and it's it's you know it's it's just growing uh, particularly across um, the Nordics and um, probably southern parts of southern Europe as well. And then lastly, we have um, you know sort of life sciences, um, food, and um, semiconductors. So th that sort of kind of industrial um, and pharmaceutical sector, like as well. Um, again, quite busy. Um, there are a number of large investment announcements um, over the last couple of months in Ireland. Um, you know, we we'll get um, we'll get a fair share of that um, in in the Irish market. Like we'd be one of the leaders in the in the Irish market for that that type of work. Um, so the next five years or so will be about sustainable growth. Um, and profitability in the business. And do you? Um, what does the next five years hold for you individually? Do you think have you got any sort of goals, career, career goals? Obviously, these are a lot yeah. of moving parts, right? But it'd be good to understand if you if you did. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 um, you know when when a business is 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 um, undergoing that 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 level of growth, um, and it, it it will be very significant. I mean, it opens up a lot of opportunities um, at, at kind of senior management level in the business. And you know that that's all up for discussion at the moment. Perfect. Well, what what I wanted to do is is kind of finish off on some sort of light-hearted questions, right? I think uh, the podcast is yeah. brilliant. You give loads of great information that the the, the listeners are going to love. So, um, yeah, some quick fire ones just to kind of understand you as a uh, a person outside of work, right? Okay. So, right, Pat. What is your favourite film of all time? Godfather. Great film. Have you watched the yeah. part two? I've I've watched part two about twenty two times. <laughs> I, um, I, I I think the trilogy, the trilogy, you know, I I I I'm gonna expand it a little bit and go to the Godfather trilogy, you know. Perfect, perfect. What's your favourite sport? Um, football, Gaelic football. 
Yeah, the football. Perfect. Yeah. Um, favorite mu- music genre and artist? Um, a- a- anything and everything. But if if you ask me to pick one, I I, I would probably say classical music and Andrea Rio. I've been to a couple of his concerts, and they're they're excellent. Very did very. Did not pitch you as a classical man. Jesus, this is why I do it. Well, I, I would highly recommend you go to an Andre Ryu uh, concert. It's, it's an experience. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, if you could have a coffee with any historical figure, who would it be and why? Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I think, I think um, possibly Clint Eastwood. Right. Okay. Why? I mean, he's a cool cat anyway. Yeah, that's that's it. Like you know, he's 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 old school. You know, he just he just wants to <laughs> does what he wants. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Perfect. And what's your favorite color? Green. Green. Okay. Um, favorite meal? Hard to beat a good steak. A lot of people have said that. A lot of really? people. Yeah, steak. What do you have it with? Uh, well, there, there's a there's a lovely restaurant down in Dingle called Lord Baker's, and anytime I'm home, I try and get there. So they they do a lovely fillet steak and and you know potatoes and veg and whatever. And oh. um, so yeah, just 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 uh, yeah, hard to beat. Go with a sauce. Do you go with a certain sauce? Do you go with like a peppercorn sauce over it? Or are you? I, I don't. No, I'm not. I'm not a, a saucy kind of a guy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> nice way of putting it. Um, what's the What's the worst sport that you would never play or never watch? Sumo wrestling. Really? Right. Okay. <laughs> Very specific. Right. I feel like you've had it on in the background, and you've seen it and gone, "I don't want to watch that." Have you had an experience with it? Or yeah, look, I, I, you know, I I I were growing up with um kind of you know. WWF kind of tradition yeah. back in the day, and you know you had guys like Yokozuna there kind of stood out, you know, and um, yeah, I just just didn't really, never really, never really got it, you know, um, you know, wrestling and everything else, great, um, but yeah, sumo wrestling, you know, it's it'd be different if you asked. I think you already did ask me what was my favorite one, but it was um, yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to pick a, a, a least favorite one, so I had to pick one. Crickets come up a lot. Cricket, as it yeah. Been, yeah. Uh, look, I, 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 my cousins in in, in Dublin played cricket when, when I when we were small. Um, not something I've ever played myself or I watched too much. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. But I mean, I don't dislike it or anything, you know. Fair enough. Um, what's a TV show that you would you dislike the most, or something that you you know you're in the house and you're like, Jesus, turn that off. I'm not watching I mean, that. I. I'm, I'm not a TV person. Um, I, I I just don't have time to watch TV. Um, I never never watch it really. Um, I'm more of a movie guy. Um, you know, back in the day, I would watch maybe The Sopranos, and I I did watch. I kind of made an exception to watch the Peaky Peaky Blinders when it was on a few years back. Um, but other than that, I don't really watch TV. You've got a you've got a trait for old school gangsters here. I, yeah, there's something about it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something about the something about the old school sort of the gangsters, the ones we we classed all right. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm into the same thing. So, um, I suppose, what's the most embarrassing thing that you're allowed to share on air with me? Uh, so, what's the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened to you? Could be on a job. Could be anything that's happened sort of work related. Yeah. Um. Well, when I, when I was younger, I, I was I was a bit uh, rebellious, and um. You know, D- Dingle is um, is uh, is now a, a very touristy town. Um, it's it's a 
you know, it's a kind of a big destination in, in, in Ireland. Uh, but when, like we, we grew up in the town, right in the centre of the town, and during the summer, um, they, there used to be, uh, you know, music would be playing around the town, uh, typically kind of traditional Irish music or, or whatever was, used to be played for whenever there was something on around the town. And the 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 PA system for all that used to be set up in, in our house, in the Mall. And um, one time I, I swapped out one of the tapes for um, some sort of music tape, you know, one of my own tapes or something at the time. <laughs> and uh, it may, may have been The Prodigy or something like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, put it it, it, it it sort of went out all over the town and um, the guards were called and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, so that that that's that that's probably it. Um, it didn't happen again. I, I think the following year it was it was it was that was the last year it was set up in our house anyway. <laughs> if you um if you could nominate anybody else to come on this podcast that you might know or you just want to hear about them and hear their story and their pain points, their challenges, um, who would it be? Well, I, I I'm gonna give you two names, uh, if that's okay. That's um, fine. Yeah, so one of them um, is a guy called John Mulcahy. So John is a, an old friend of mine, and we, we worked together for many, many years in, in Glenagua and MEIC and, and Mota. Uh, John uh, recently went out on his own, and he set up his own um, consulting business, um, kind of advising firms on, on um, prequals and bid writing and tendering and, and other things. They do asset management as well. So John would be John would have a very interesting story and would, would probably have um, some good war stories um, that you know that we would have shared together. And just he'd be an interesting guy to, to hear from. Uh, John also did an MBA in um, in UCD Smurfit Business School uh, a year before I did it, um, and you know that that was a very interesting experience. So he helped me a lot through it because he was a year ahead of me, and uh, just just a, you know good good guy. And the second person then is a guy called Luke DC. So Luke is the managing director of Copper Coast Renewables. Uh, he he's a guy I just I just bumped into recently at an Engineers Ireland event, and he would have a kind of a similar background and age profile to myself, um, similar kind of work experience, work history. But he's he's gone out on his own now in the renewables industry, and you know he's 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 won a couple of awards. He's been nominated for stuff in the past. And, you know, I just met him and I really liked his story when I was talking to him. And I, I think, you know, he'd be an interesting guy. I always admire people that, that are kind of entrepreneurial in that way. And they're willing to walk away from a, from a big job, take a risk and go out on their own. And, you know, those two guys definitely fit into that category for me. Perfect. Pat, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, really love talking to you. Um, yeah, look forward to um, speaking again. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Yeah, thanks very much. It's been a really great experience and best of luck with the podcast going forward as well. Thanks, mate. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening to the Leaders in Construction podcast with me, Stuart Wallace. I hope this episode has inspired you in more ways than one. Until next time.